everybody. You're here on Faith FM, 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia. And we have coming up in the question of the day, possibly the most controversial, controversial question yeah. we have ever had. It's amazing the things that pop up and just stir up so much emotion. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's funny because or indignation. Um, I'm I'm surprised I didn't, didn't realise it was such a such a raw nerve. Yeah. But yeah, Lyle is here furiously preparing, researching. Um, I don't think I've ever researched this much for yeah, a uh, yeah. question of the day before. Yeah, a good thing because some <laughs> we've had some people message us. Just go uh, on our Twitter feed and have a yeah, bit of a read through. You're going to find that entertaining. Some people message us who have basically said, "Look, if Lyle doesn't give the answer that I." agree with, then you need to get a new Lyle, basically. <laughs> I might be fired. Well, you might be stuck on the curb by the end of this show. Fired at the end of this one. <laughs> anyway, let me give you another Stay clue for our for quiz. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're going to have After Our Encounter with God will be our question. Our question, of course, is why do some people still circumcise their children? Okay, so for our breakfast Bible quiz, it is the Who Am I quiz. The clue number three is this. I knew where to find Jesus after supper because he often met there with his disciples. Give us a call if you know the answer. 1-800-FAITH-FM is our number. It's 1-800-324-843. Or you can text 0491-064-669. And, of course, we will send you a wonderful prize if you can get it right. There you go. Who was that? Oh, so many good clues I could give away right now. Let me think of, uh, Let me. okay, maybe not. Maybe another day. I'll, I'll give you some extra clues coming up. All right, where are we up to? We were in Acts chapter 15. We were talking about racism and how to get rid of racism. And we were talking about circumcision. This is where this whole issue of uh, the question about circumcision really came up. Mm-hmm. Maybe, it is. Maybe it is. We could, this maybe is we where it started. Just, let's, let's, what, we, we could just get into it. We, if you really want to. No, we've already told people to wait till question. <laughs> question time to get into it. But I will make a couple of... Uh, Maybe lead-in statements, and that circumcision originated. <coughs> Wait, okay. I'm not going to be videotaping this, so unless you just, I think we should leave it all for the one question. Uh, I want to get into it, but anyway, because a lot right. of our a lot of our listeners, like our abroad listeners, are might be asleep now, and um, the only way they can hear it is when they go and watch our YouTube channel. So unless you say it on video, which I'm not videoing this. They won't get the full answer, so maybe maybe just hold off. I know you're excited about this. I know you've been researching all morning and you're dying to talk about it. But. Dying to get myself in trouble and fired. Mm-hmm. I need another job. Yeah. I need to go somewhere else. <laughs> anyone need a church pastor out there, just uh, yep, stay tuned. Um, okay, so the issue here with the Jerusalem Council <coughs> was really an issue of race. Mm-hmm. Uh, do Christians who are Gentiles need to become Jews in order to be saved? One of the things I find most interesting and, and significant working our way down through this passage is that you, and just to summarize, you've got this situation where, first of all, Peter has a vision. He is sent to a Gentile home. He goes into that home. He eats in that home. He touches Gentile people. He breaks <gasps> no. about every taboo, <laughs> Jewish taboo that there is uh, as a result of his preaching. The Holy Spirit is poured out in a very powerful and visible way on uh, the inhabitants of that home who are all Gentiles. Peter goes back and he is asked to explain himself, and so he explains that, you know, this is what happened, this is what God told me to do, this is what I did. They praise God that, you know, the Holy Spirit has uh, been poured out on these Gentiles, but it seems to be the assumption was that this was an exceptional case, and so they're praising God that God on occasions makes exceptions. 
They didn't think it was going to be the norm. Didn't think it was going to be the norm. But then as Christianity spread around the world as a result of persecution, of course, there were other um, Christians who then took advantage of this to take the gospel to Gentiles in general. And so you've got this whole situation where you know the gospel is going out to lots of uh, Gentiles all over the place. And uh, and and so the the, the the leaders in Jerusalem are starting to freak out a little bit. You know, this is getting out of control. We're standing on a slippery slope. We need to rein things back in here. We need to put limits on this. We need to discover where those limits are. Certainly there's an exception for Cornelius and his family, but do we have permission from God to make an exception across the board? And so, of course, Paul and Barnabas have been preaching to lots of Gentiles. Barnabas was a very godly man, um, you know, just a really, really nice guy. And so they send up to Antioch and they're like, okay, you guys have been baptizing and accepting Gentiles to be Christians. Please explain. Yeah, it's almost like they thought this would, this was like an anomaly and it wouldn't continue. It was just yeah. like a once-off event. We're not going to keep, you know, hanging out with the Gentiles because, you know, that's dirty and scummy and gross. And soon we'll be back to regular viewing and, you know, and then it just kept going. Do you think there's still Jews that adhere to those old school rules? There are many different kinds of Jews today and you probably need to ask somebody who was a religious Jew. Okay. Uh, that question to, to get a good answer of it. You've got a whole range of du- Judaism in the same way you've got a whole range of Christianity, uh, from the extremely conservative to the extremely liberal and, uh, and so forth. Did you know there's a, um, there's a number of uh, Uniting Church ministers that are atheists? What? Yeah. How does that, how does that even calculate? Professedly, professedly atheists. There's a bu- bunch of ministers in every church, I, I think, that are atheists um, you know, in secret. I feel like they might be in the wrong job. You reckon? They're like the people who people who hate their hate their work. What would ever give you that impression? <laughs> it's just a hunch. <laughs> yeah, but you know that's so you've got that whole range within Christianity today. The same as you've got the whole range within Judaism. I know a, you know a number of practicing Jews who practice their religion, but they're atheists. And so you ask them about, it and they're like, "This is our culture. It's one of the mm-hmm. oldest cultures on earth. It's been around for you know three and a half thousand years." And, uh, and we don't want to lose our identity and our culture and so forth. And Gefeld and so, the fish tastes good, apparently. Yeah, and, and, yeah. and also, you know, they see the positive benefits of having, you know, a good moral framework to live by mm-hmm. in much the way that um, some Christian atheist ministers do. Um, so you got that whole range, and so it's not something that, you know, I could really We should on. interview one of these Christian atheists. Like, what is that all about, really? Just, they like the, 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 the lifestyle of a Christian, but they don't... Maybe we should. Mm, Maybe yeah. we should. Yeah. Track them down, get them on the phone. Find out what it's all about. Um, but, uh, yeah, so anyway, get, getting back to our subject. So to cut a long story short, they call a general church council because this is getting way out of control. And James, it seems, is making taking a very conservative position because the Bible says that when when James's representatives, James is heading up the church at this time in Jerusalem, when James's representatives arrived in Antioch, where you had Peter, you had Paul, and you had Barnabas, who were all ministering to Gentiles, mm-hmm. that Peter and Barnabas uh, turned around and suddenly uh, started to cease any level of fraternization with Gentiles and not only eat with Jewish people, trying to make themselves look good in front of the church leaders, uh, representatives, envoys or whatever from James. And so they seem to be quite intimidated by James at this time. And, uh, and, and Paul rebuked them to their face. And so then the envoys were like, okay, let's, um, you guys, come down to Jerusalem. We'll hold a general church council and we will get this sorted out. We will, we will make a decision right here. And it ends up being the first GC. 
Yes, the first general conference session right there where the church gets together and discusses the issue of circumcision. And the Bible gives a summary. The outcome of it is that James, who is such a staunch leader and a staunch defender of truth, makes an about face and publicly stands up and takes an entirely different position to what it seems he was taking before. Good. So this is a really positive thing. So this tells me a number of things about um, about the Bible, about humans, about the church, all these kind of things. The first is that as human beings, we are fallible human beings. Mm-hmm. doesn't matter what position of authority we hold. We are fallible human beings who make mistakes. That's right. Making mistakes is part of our humanity. And somebody once told me, if you don't make a mistake, you won't make anything. It's true. And so James here made a mistake. It was an epic mistake. So that's the first thing I see here. The second thing I see is that um, James was a man not only who was very staunch about what he believed in, who was prepared to write about it you know, in very strong language. If you read the book of James, he uses very strong language to defend the truth and to defend mor- morality. Uh, he doesn't hold back. But he was also someone of incredible humility. You know, to stand up and to publicly say, I used to take this position. I no longer take this position because God has shown me a different way. It's a, it's a huge thing to do. Like, I mean, you think about self-pride and it's such, pride is such an issue in our church You know, today. T- to really take that humble step and say, look, I was wrong and this is you know, what's right and we should all follow this instead of what I said previously is really a large helping of humble pie. Yeah, it is indeed. And it's one of those things where... Um, you know, and particularly if you look at the kind of argument that is being made here, where the church is moving from a more conservative position to a more liberal position, one would seem uh, that's the most difficult argument that there is to make. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. You see, it's very easy to make yourself look righteous by holding a high standard. And it's very easy to make yourself look unrighteous by holding a lower standard than somebody else. It's true. And so you've, and I'll illustrate this um, with something that took place during uh, the Second World War. So today we have uh, Shinzo Abe, who is visiting Darwin, the first Japanese head of state to visit Darwin since the bombing of Darwin 77 years ago. Not that the uh, head of state was there, but... Um, um, certainly no head of state has been there. And together with Scott Morrison, they're going to be laying a wreath. Uh, they're going to remember lives that were lost in the bombing of Darwin mm-hmm. um, and all the bombings of Darwin and the battle for Darwin, which is a it's, it's a good thing to see two countries that have been able to set aside their differences, to set aside their past history and to come together like this. And may we always have good relations with Japan and every other nation that there is around the world. During the Second World War, one of the things that fascinated and, and, and disturbed the Allies was the propensity that the Japanese army had for bonsai charges, which were clearly ineffective. You can't, you know, it's, it's, it's a very ineffective means of, you know, it's a waste of soldiers, it's a waste of lives, it's a waste of everything. And they couldn't understand how such um, military geniuses as the Japanese army had produced 
And we have to remember, you know, how rapidly they were able to conquer very large parts of the earth and how, you know, very large and powerful armies, say, for instance, in Singapore, just collapsed at the approach of, you know, a, a, a tremendously numerically inferior Japanese force. Just just to uh, quickly clarify, bonsai charge. Bonsai charge is basically where you um, where you, you grab your rifle, you fix a bayonet to it, or you grab a sword. Everybody... Um, starts screaming and yelling and charges across open ground towards defended dug-in positions. So it's which, kind of suicidal. Yeah, a suicide charge. Is that like kamikaze? It's called a human wave attack. It's, uh, mm. yeah, it definitely um, goes with the, the whole kamikaze concept. Uh-huh. The way that it will work is if you have enough manpower so that you've got more men than the opposition has bullets. Oh, and so eventually you're actually able to overrun the defended position. Because the ones in the front died. Yeah. Uh, it was used somewhat extensively during the First World War. Um, in Gallipoli, the Australians were sent in in human wave attacks up against machine guns. Um, the Turks did the same things against the Australians. Um, the, the trench warfare would often feature this kind of, of the First World War. It was last used in the Iran-Iraq War in the 1980s. Uh, really? A, um, a, a method that was used by, um, um, by Iran to fight against Iraq. It's so sad. It's, it's just really, such a sad really tactic. terrible and sad and just, yeah, just a terrible thing. But, you know, you've got these Japanese um, generals that absolutely – Brilliant strategists. Mm-hmm. Why are they ordering something like this? Mm. Because, yeah, like you said, it, it, it's kind of a wasteful tactic, yeah, isn't it? makes no sense at all. And what it came down to was something interesting in the Japanese culture. Japanese culture um, had a, a, a tremendous veneration for bravery. That's a good thing. We need to recognize people are brave. We need to encourage people to be brave. What would often happen was that a junior officer or a uh, uh, um, even an officer of or, or, or a soldier of no rank would propose to his superior officer a bonsai charge. Now the superior officer he lo- knows the lay of the battlefield, he knows the defences, he knows he sees the big picture, he knows everything that's going on, and he knows that this is suicide. Mm-hmm. However. If he was to say no to the proposal, it would make him look like he was lacking in courage. He was a coward. It would make him look like he was arguing for a lower standard. Mm -hmm. It would make him look like he was less righteous in the eyes of the enlisted men. Yeah, gotcha. And so, therefore, he would find himself trapped and would go ahead and order a bonsai charge and lots of people would die. Okay. And so what we have is the same within Christianity, the same within religion where somebody comes along and they propose a standard that's very, very high and it sounds great and it's like, yeah, this is fantastic. Can you imagine this person is proposing such a high standard? And, uh, and they can and go extreme course, with it. They, they go extreme with it. They feel very righteous because like, well, I'm not like this other person over here who mm-hmm. keeps a low standard. And uh, everybody looks at them and like, well, they're proposing a much higher standard. They must be more righteous and closer to God than what I am. When in actual fact, what that standard may be. Now, it isn't always this the case by any stretch of the imagination. We should have the highest moral standards as Christians. Absolutely. But it may be something that is totally unbiblical. Yes. You know, that is not supported by Scripture. And this was the case with circumcision. Those who were promoting circumcision were promoting a very, very high standard. It's... 
takes a lot for a Gentile to undergo circumcision. Mm-hmm. That's a massive barrier. Especially when they're grown they, men. The, the people proposing it looked more righteous. They sounded more righteous. They're like, yes, we're defending the faith. We're defending the truth, all this kind of thing. And those who are arguing against it look like, oh, you're just trying to water down the gospel. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so it takes a lot of courage to actually stand up and argue for a lower, what appears to be a lower standard, but is actually a higher standard, but is a biblical standard. The, 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 the long and the short of it comes down to this. We need to have our morals, our standards, our lifestyle based on the Bible. Amen. If it is outside of the Bible, if it's coming from culture or tradition, we need to recognize that's your culture, that's your tradition. If you choose to live that way, then you know that's entirely up to you. There are lots of things that are involved with culture and tradition that are either neither you know good nor bad or otherwise. Um, but we need to recognize what is biblical and what is not biblical. And you know, Paul was arguing that you know circumcision for Gentiles was something that was not biblical. It was never given to anyone but the descendants of Abraham. And so requiring it outside of the descendants of Abraham was not biblical and it should not be required. Uh, and of course, you know, um, James ate his humble pie, stood up and publicly changed his position and gave a uh, a change to church doctrine that has lasted right down through the years until our day. So when they gave that, when when he stood up and, and you know and made that little announcement, right, was that the end of circumcision for the Jews then as well, like for the Christian Jews? For the Christian well Jews, the yes. So they all just stopped it then? Uh, the, 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 uh, the Jews could uh, were free to, you know, obviously anybody's free to circumcise and most of the Jews, I think, would continue circumcision as a part of their nation. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, because they see it as a sign of being Jewish, but there was no longer a requirement for it. Okay, it's no. not required. So yeah, if, a if, a Jewish, Jewish, if a Jewish Christian chooses to do it, that's a personal choice. But the requirement was taken away. Okay. Okay. All right. For anyone who uh, is a follower of Christ or professing Christianity. Mm-hmm. Okay. Gotcha. Very interesting. All right. Well, so, so, so more coming up on that in, in question yeah. time. So that's where we got up to yesterday, a uh, bit more explaining about what happened there with the church council and the announcement that was made and where we're up to in uh, in the story about racism. So There you go. All right. So that catches us up to date. And uh, let me ask you this question, Mon. Have, is there been anything in your life where you have had to make a radical change theologically or otherwise and eat humble pie and say, you know what? What I was p- teaching before was wrong. Yes, but I'm not about to tell you all that. <laughs> I think so you're not going to do a James on the radio this morning. No, I've, I've, I've eaten my humble pie. I'm not going to eat it again. Um, <laughs> I think that's the natural part of every Christian's walk is to realize, hang on, something that I thought earlier is wrong, and, and you know, now I have to. And, and it's the problem is when you when you don't. Uh, sort of, you know, eat that humble pie when you're like, no, uh, I used to teach this, like, I have to save face and you dig your heels in and sometimes you get even worse, you get even more extreme with whatever teaching it was that you, you know, maybe genuinely incorrectly believed. So it's definitely uh, something we need to take to God. If we realize we're wrong, you know, eat the humble pie and take it to the Lord and leave it there.
Guys, that was Matt and Josie Minicus with I Will Arise, the prodigal uh, here on Faith FM. And we are back with our encounter with God. And we are talking about the first, uh, the Jerusalem Church Council and talking about changing things when we learn new truth. Yeah, that's it. And I've made major changes in my life at on various occasions. Uh, there have been things that I have publicly preached that I have actually changed. Oh, do you want to share them with us, Lyle? No. Yeah. Been there, done that. I'm gonna. Yeah. I'm gonna go with you this morning. Uh-huh. <laughs> Trying to stick me in I've, the I've, soup. I've, I've had my time of eating humble pie, mm-hmm. but you know, I'm happy to talk to anybody about it. You know, on a, on a one-on-one basis. Um, you know, and, and share my past experience and and you know certain positions I've taken in the past and I've studied it through and I've gone, you know what, that's wrong. Or somebody shared it with me or, and challenged me. In fact, um, yeah. Um, uh, there have uh, been some very recent moments in which I have eaten some humble pie and learnt some information that I did not know before. It's all including, part of including during the last song break. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we have a producer who is an expert on Japanese history, so yeah, maybe we will um, explore that a bit. Further. Explore that a little bit further yeah. at a later time. Okay, but. Uh, we should jump back into our Bible study. We there. should. Yeah, we should. Yeah. So it's 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 important to be able to um, recognize when you're wrong and to be able to move on from there. One of the things that you'll find is that when a person makes an emotional attachment to error, it's almost impossible to break them from it. It is. It, it's true. What's I've that saying? This, a man convinced to go against his will is of the same opinion still. That's right. Yeah. And we need to, as Christians, when we are challenged, we need to go back to the Word of God, we need to go to the Bible and find out whether those things are so. We need to be Bereans. We need to study and not just be closed-minded about stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyway, where were we? Acts chapter 15. Um, well, I kind of think we finished that off. Let's go to Amos chapter 9. Amos. Yes. Right, well, because that to re- totally there. relates to Acts, right? Yeah, I was expecting to hear up Amos this morning. Amos. Amos is a pretty cool book. I like that name. Do you like the name Amos? Yeah, it's pretty cool. I know a few Amoses. I don't think I've ever met one. Amos chapter 9, verse 11 and 12. <coughs> Amos chapter 9, verse 11 and 12. Uh, okay. In that day, I will restore the fallen house of David. I will repair its damaged walls. From its ruins, I will rebuild it and restore its former glory. And Israel will possess what is left of Edom and the nations I have called to be mine. The Lord has spoken and he will do these things. Okay, so what's this prophecy all about? What is it telling us? Just out at the beginning of the prophecy, what does the Bible say that God will do? It's a promise of restoration. Okay, what's he going to restore? Uh, Israel possess what's left of Edom. Uh, and that was the fallen house of David. Okay, the fallen house walls. of David. Yeah, is that the temple? That's the temple. Yeah. 
And here's an interesting thought because there have been a number of people who on uh, various occasions have come to me and said, okay, uh, the Bible says that that uh, the temple is going to be rebuilt. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the Al-Aqsa Mosque, the Dome of the Rock are going to be destroyed and the temple will be rebuilt in Jerusalem. Okay. And I've gone, okay, yeah, that's fair enough. Um, where do you get that from in the Bible? And so then they've taken me to this passage right here in Amos chapter 9, verse 11, which clearly says that the temple of David will be rebuilt right there in Jerusalem. And so I'm thinking to myself, okay, if the temple is going to be rebuilt in Jerusalem, um, then uh, what is it that, uh, you know, why would that happen? You know, this cannot be a good thing in any way, shape or form because that would be a form of blasphemy because Jesus has already died and paid the sacrifice for our sins and it would be wrong for that temple to be rebuilt and to continue services there. And so then they'll come back to me and say, oh, yes, the Antichrist is going to be involved in it and so forth. But then I read the prophecy and this does not sound like the Antichrist. Okay. Does that sound like, you know, this doesn't... No, it doesn't. It, it sounds like God is doing this. Yeah, it, it does, exactly. It doesn't sound like a negative thing. It sounds like a positive thing in the prophecy. It does, yeah. How can rebuilding the temple be a positive thing for a Christian? But, That's impossible, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so then I'm thinking, okay, we need to dig a little bit deeper here. And then it comes back to the principle that we mentioned a couple of days ago. What is the interpretation that you want of a Bible passage, do you want to go with the Bible's interpretation, or do you want to go with what just some random person has come up with? On oh, the Bible's interpretation, you want the Bible's interpretation? Yeah, Good. people um, are idiots. <laughs> yep, fair enough. All the world are idiots, except for me and you, Mon, and That's sometimes d- even you. <laughs> well. <clears throat> we won't go there. Yeah. Acts chapter 15, verse 16, the Bible says, and I'm just reading from a different translation now, um, it says, After this I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David, which is fallen down, and will build again the ruins thereof, and will set it up. There we have a direct quote from Amos 9, verse 11. James stands up in the Jerusalem council. He quotes Amos 9, verse 11, the prophecy about the rebuilding of the temple, and then he tells us what this prophecy actually means. So here you have the biblical interpretation of the prophecies of the rebuilding of the temple rather than, you know, Jack Van Impey or somebody else out there who goes and writes a book about it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He continues on that the residue of men or the rest of men or the rest of humanity might seek after the Lord and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, says the Lord who does all these things. Things. And so notice in Amos's prophecy, it talks about the rebuilding of the temple and then all of the surrounding nations worshipping God. That's right. All of the Gentiles worshipping God. James comes along and says, okay, this is a fulfillment of the prophecy right here. In Acts chapter 15, in the Jerusalem council, where the Holy Spirit is falling on the Gentiles, this is the fulfillment of the prophecy of Amos 9. This is a fulfillment of all of the prophecies that talk about the rebuilding of the temple. It boggles my mind that they didn't study this prophecy earlier and could have sort of seen it coming. Instead of like when it happened, they all have a bit of a, a bit of a, a blow up and have to have a conference about it. It just shows how deeply seated some of the cultural aspects of our uh, religion can be, mm-hmm. and how that we need to separate cultural. Um, Christianity from biblical Christianity, mm-hmm. because we, you know, culture is a good thing. There's nothing wrong with culture. It, um, it it's 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 a positive it's a positive thing that um, absolutely 
It, keeps, yeah. it makes life interesting. It's a fascinating aspect, great thing to study until it gets in the way of, 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 of um, serving God. Yeah. And, and we all should have our culture. We should enjoy our culture. We mm-hmm. should enjoy other people's cultures and, uh, and enjoy sharing backwards and forwards. But we should never get culture confused with... Um, Bible truth. Bible truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, if something is against Bible truth, then um, culture goes out the window and we stay with the Bible, not going with our culture. But it shows a trap for us as human beings. And, you know, we were talking um, during the song break or a little bit earlier about Victorian culture. Mm-hmm. And Victorian culture is the foundation of Western culture today. Yeah. And Victorian culture was seriously messed up. Um, you know, with a lot of things, particularly in their area of morality, and we are still dealing with it through to this day. It's true. You know, there, there was, they piled so many taboos on top of what the Bible said says that today you've got a situation where people just make all these kinds of assumptions. Well, the Bible teaches this about the morality and the Bible teaches that about the morality because we just assume it because it's been a part of Victorian culture that has formed the culture of uh, Western society, particularly you know, in uh, Australia and the United States, which you know the new world rather than the old world because we don't have that you know that that long history that goes back you know previous to the victorian culture to the what did we have before that the tudors and the you know blah 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 mm-hmm. all the way back um we don't have those preceding cultures we're we're a brand new culture that uh you know here in australia we 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 grew out of became a nation out of the victorian culture that's right and it has really had a powerful impact um, and some of it messes us up as uh, in our Christianity. Anyway, this is Anna Beden with Knitted. You're listening to Faith Anna. Of the field, though still your life you try to be. 
Forgiveness. It's easier said than done. But there's a program called Forgive to Live, designed to help us all improve our lives and discover the healing power of forgiveness. So if you're keen to take that first step, head to forgivetolive.org.au. Listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Hey, Mon. Mm-hmm. Do you believe in miracles? Look, if God can change my life, I think I definitely believe in miracles. Okay, so the Hamilton Seventh Day Adventist Church is making a difference in its community. Oh yeah, how? Well, it's worshiping together, loving together, learning together, and above all, preparing for Jesus to return together. Ooh, that sounds good. When's all this happening? Bible studies start at 10 a.m. Service at 11 a.m. And guess what? That's followed by. Or is it this free lunch I keep hearing about? Absolutely. Well, please join us at the Hamilton Seventh Day Adventist Church. Our address is 105 Lindsay Street, Hamilton, New South Wales. Every Saturday morning where you will be welcomed with a smile.
That was Ben and Noel with I'm Yours. You're listening to Faith FM. We have come to probably the most controversial question of the day that we've ever had. But before we do, we have a clue for the quiz. Yes, two last clues for our Who Am I quiz. I committed suicide and then I, betra- uh, sorry, I committed suicide and I betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. So if you know who that is, give us a call. 1-800-FAITH-FM is our number. Or you can just DM us on social media and uh, we'll send the prize if you're correct. Of course, it has indeed come time for our super controversial uh, Q of the D. This is probably the biggest one I've ever had. I didn't even realize until I woke up this morning and my phone had blown up. Um, so question of the day today, Lyle. Why do people still circumcise their children? Okay, so there are three basic reasons why people still circumcise their children, and they really come down to religious reasons. And so for Jewish people, there is still a Jewish requirement um, that comes from, you know, right back at the time of Abraham, the covenant with Abraham uh, to circumcise their children. And of course, uh, Islam being an Abrahamic religion um, and accepting Abraham as their father through Ishmael, they still have uh, a religious requirement for circumcision as well. Uh, Then you have cultural reasons. Um, And so some people, you know, culturally, because, you know, my grandfather was done, my father was done, I was done, therefore my kids are going to be done, whatever it might be, there are a whole different range of cultural reasons that we really can't go into. That's the reasoning you were talking about yourself just then, weren't you? Sorry? That's the reasoning behind it. Yeah, yeah, that's the reason. I'm not talking about anybody here. We're not going to be mentioning any names in this particular uh, um, program as to who is and who isn't. Um, And then, of course, there are those who do it for health reasons. Now, this is probably the one where there's the most controversy and also the most uh, research that has been done. And I thought I would spend a little bit of time sharing with you some of the reasons that people have given from a health perspective. Okay, so um, there is no major medical organization in the world that uh, supports the banning of male circumcision. Now, we're talking about a very different thing here from female circumcision. Female circumcision is just you know female um, genital mutilation. FGM, yep. Yeah, FGM. When, when, that's probably a, another question for, a, for another day. And, uh, of course, that's got nothing to do with Bible or the God or God or anything like that. And, if, and it's done for very different reasons. It's not done for health reasons. It's done to make sex unpleasurable for women, basically. So you can control them better. It's basically... Yeah, yeah. It's, it's disgusting and should be banned, but let's go back to male circumcision. Absolutely. Going back to male circumcision, there's no major, you know, World Health Organization. None of these guys uh, propose a ban on it, even, you know... Um, the, the Royal Dutch Medical Association, which is probably the most opposed major organization to male circumcision, um, says that a ban on it would be not would, would be you know detrimental from a a, a healthcare perspective, um, even though they strongly recommend it against it in um, basically almost all circumstances. Okay, the World Health Organization, on the other hand, does recommend uh, circumcision in sub-Saharan Africa. Uh, because of reduced rates of uh, HIV in heterosexual men. And they have found that in uh, South Africa, Kenya and Uganda, those three countries right there, uh, the cost of circumcising um, men, and of course it's voluntary in all of these countries, has been offset by the savings uh, that it produces uh, in lower rates of HIV infection. And so from an economic perspective, they have calculated a $16.5 billion savings. Wow. Yeah, so that's quite significant. Mm-hmm. Um, 40% of men worldwide, thereabouts, are, um, have been circumcised. 
Okay, so as far as treatment goes, and so this is uh, this is you know people who are circumcised as medical treatment to treat a medical condition, and of course there are you know people like you know people are opposed to that, but people are opposed also to you know mastectomies and all kinds of other um, treatments, you know uh, amputation and whatnot. Mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. there are times when you need to cut something off because it's going to be a problem, um, and so there are a list here of uh, medical conditions uh, that I can't pronounce. Uh, pathological phimosis, refractory balanopositis, um, chronic UTI, um, urinary tract infections, um, and as we also mentioned, reduces the rates of HIV. Um, this is an interesting one. Penile cancer um, in countries that have very low rates of circumcision is about 4.3 per 100,000, very low. In Israel, which probably has the highest rate, it is 0.1 per 100,000. And uh, yeah, so there are there are distinct um, medical reasons why people would choose to have this particular procedure. Uh, a very good friend of mine had this procedure once because he was a surfer and got sick of getting sand all stuck in it. So he's just like, problem solved right there. Now, of course, there's a lot of debate about um, in relationship to uh, sexual pleasure, and there is no evidence, no scientific evidence that has been able to be produced that it uh, either reduces or enhances sexual pleasure. A lot of um, anecdotal uh, evidence that argues either direction on that one. As far as women goes, um, in a 2017 study noted a decreased risk of cervical cancer, cervical dysplasia, um, HSV2, chlamydia and syphilis. Um, amongst women who were married to uh, and had relationships with uh, circumcised men. So there are some medical reasons for it. And we find that, you know, there are medical reasons for amputations. There are medical reasons for having part of your bowel removed. I Goodness knows what else it might be. There are medical reasons why we would take lots of things away. Um, and that's uh, another reason that people still practice circumcision. However, the Bible is crystal clear that this is not something that is required for uh, Christians in any way, shape, or form. Uh, that if you are a part of a Christian organization and they are saying that you need to be circumcised, there is so much information in the New Testament. Um, a great passage that uh, somebody pointed out to us on our Twitter feed, I think it was, was in uh, Philippians chapter three and verse two. Watch out for those dogs whose people do evil, whose mutilators, uh, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. Uh, Paul made this abundantly clear that this was not a requirement for uh, the Christian church or the Christian religion in any way, shape or form. So so circumcision, not a requirement for salvation, actually doesn't really have much to do with religion at all anymore, except for maybe those leftover traditional cultures around the globe. Yeah, well, those religions but, that still you know, yeah, have trace back to Abraham, they don't have the New Testament. You know, the, Jew, the Jewish religion doesn't have the New Testament. Uh, Islam doesn't accept the New Testament, particularly the writings of Paul. And so, um, and so, so they see that as a, for them, that is very much a religious practice. Um, but outside of those it's all religions, medical. it's the, the only, yeah, you know, the only real uh, reason that you would proceed with that procedure would be for medical reasons. Okay. All right. Well, but it's not going to be, it's not, it's, there's no harm involved. It's not one of these harmful. Well, uh, that's debatable as well. They have some, they're trying to do studies about, you know, the traumatization of babies and where that leads and that kind of thing. But okay. I guess a 40% of men. Let me rephrase that. Let me yeah, rephrase that. No major world health organization has uh, promoted a universal ban on it for medical reasons. So that's probably a better way of, of, of putting it. And if because, 40% yeah, of men in the, in the world have had it done, then they also need to be pretty okay, then I guess. Eh. 
Otherwise, it'd be half the men on the planet would be losing their I'm sure their there's a few out, out there that complain <laughs> about it, but, um, you know, that comes to anecdotal evidence rather than science. Okay, thank you so much. If you have a question, give us a call. 1-800-FAITH-FM is our number. Open my lips I will sing your praise forever Open my lips, O Lord I will sing your praise Guys, that was Jaden Levick with What a Friend here on Faith FM, and we are about to give something away. What could our gift of the day possibly be today on the random subjects that we have been talking about? Okay, so our gift today is the book How to Live in Health and Wholeness. Actually, don't you know what, Lyle? Scrap that. I'm not going to give away a book. Oh, yes. better, better, way better, better, way better, way better, way better, way better, way better than a book. Yeah, we yeah, forgot, yeah. didn't we? We're going to give away a consultation. How about that? You heard the, inter- um, the interview this morning with Leonie Gardner, a uh, wonderful new uh, clinician there in her new clinic that she's opened up. So she has graciously donated... Um, one free. Uh, one free consultation for one of our listeners. So if you call up right now, the first person to call through, 1-800-FAITH-FM, 1-800-324-843, uh, we'll be giving you a gift voucher for a consultation, a comprehensive consultation with uh, Leonie Gardner, which will be so – I kind of want it myself. I'm gonna, <laughs> I kind of want to call her up and put on a fake voice, be like, uh, hello, this is uh, Enid uh, Smith, and I would like to know about my health issues. That's, what I, that's literally what I want to do. Yeah. I want to call up uh, and steal a, that prize. A nutritional practitioner, I think Yes, the yes. And – and uh, um, and she does consultations Australia wide. Yep. Um, with her new practice right there in Kempsey. Yeah, you uh, don't have to be in Kempsey. Skype, you can be anywhere. FaceTime, uh, yep. Messenger, whatever kind of format is your format that you would like to use. And she will do that uh, that comprehensive consultation with you mm-hmm. and get you started on a path to health. So that's a pretty significant one right there, Mon. Yes, indeed. Uh, medical stuff now. is usually pretty expensive these days. So um, that's really fantastic. I also wanted to mention there's a fantastic um, health course that you can do through the Discovery Center. Uh, you can do this course by correspondence or online. And uh, Living Well course, it is just an amazing health It's course. really good. Yeah, yeah. We helped put it together and it's free. Latest research right there, entirely free. So give us a call on that number and a free consultation coming your way. 1-800-FAITH-FM.
Still our refuge